with that, we are transitioning now into a series uh, in the book of Malachi, or for those of you that are Italian, Malachi. Okay, right. Hopefully you're listening. Um, but to do that, I want to start off, and I want to talk to you about the relationship that I have with our little guy, Noah. Several of you know that he's four years old. He's a wonderful little guy, very curious, very caring, and very loving. But here's what's interesting. Over the last several weeks, what I notice about him is he's somewhat fickle. And what do I mean by that? Well, a lot of times on Mondays, that's my day off, and we have sort of the morning time frame together until he has to go off to preschool. And so in that, we love to spend time together, whether it's playing Hot Wheels or whether it's playing with his blocks or whether it's going outside and doing all of these wonderful things. And so on these days, a lot of time I spend investing in him, showing my love to him. And of course, as we're playing and as we're doing these things, one of his favorite things to do is to turn to me and say, Daddy, I love you. Or he gives me this sign, which means I love you, and I give this sign back to him. But here's what's interesting. On any given day, all of those things are going well, and we're loving one another. My love for him as a father is displayed to him. And oftentimes what will happen is we'll go to breakfast. We'll get breakfast. I'll give him breakfast as a loving father, providing for him and caring for him. He'll be fine. And then obviously he'll say, after breakfast, I want a cookie. And I say, well, okay, number one, you have to finish your breakfast. Number two, I don't think that a cookie is a good idea. What do you think his response is? Oh, daddy, that's okay, that's fine, I still love you. <laughs> no, it's you don't love me, daddy. I don't love you anymore. You're not giving me my cookie. Interestingly enough, it's very similar to what we're going to see about the people of God in the book of Malachi. To dive into this passage, I'm going to need to take some time to explain what's going on. And so I ask you to walk with me through what's happening to the people of God in Israel. But it's very similar to the story that I just gave you. God has and continues to lovingly work with his people, to walk with his people and provide for them. He cares for them. And yet, over a series of time, they continue to disobey God and or when they do obey him and God provides for them, they're fickle about God's provision. They want more. They think they deserve more. And when life gets hard or they don't get what they want, they begin to question God's love for them. And so this prophecy, the story of Malachi, is essentially a prophet coming forward and saying to the people of God, I bring you an oracle or for some of you in your translations, a burden. Now, whenever you hear a prophet come forward and say, I have an oracle for you, or a burden for you, immediately your eyes should light up. Because that means that God is moving forward in somewhat of a disciplinary action. Hey, something's wrong. I need to correct you. I need to bring you back to me because you have gone astray. And so interestingly enough in this, what we're going to see is how God, through Malachi, comes forward and says, you don't love me anymore. You don't care for me. Your worship has become stale. 
You go through the motions rotely, but I know your heart. And all you're doing is ticking off the box, getting things done, but deep inside, you don't care anymore. That can't be us, can it? The question that I want to ask you this morning is, where's your heart with God? Is coming to church just somewhat of a routine? Is it something to tick off the box? Is it something just to get done? Is it something to say, I did that, therefore, because I did, God, you need to bless me? Or are we coming with a heart that's after his heart to truly follow after his word, to live our lives according to him, to express who he is to other people, recognizing that all that we have comes from him. It's interesting because so often in our lives, God gives us so much. He has given us our salvation even though we don't deserve it, and we're going to see that in a minute. He has given us his love. He stands with us in covenant, saying, you will be my people and I will redeem you. He has given us our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ so that we might have our sins forgiven. He has promised us that Christ will return again and establish his kingdom. And those of us that are in Christ will dwell with him in his kingdom forever with full rights and full privileges. And yet oftentimes what we do is is we say, God, that's not enough. It's not enough, God, because I didn't get what I want. It's not enough, God, because the job that I wanted isn't giving me the salary that I think I deserve. It's not enough, God, because I feel that I deserve more in whatever it is that I'm doing. It's not enough, God, because my house isn't big enough. It's not enough, God, because the relationship that I'm in isn't what I think that it should be. And so often what we do is is we look around at our temporal circumstance and we begin to blame God and say, you don't love me. You don't love us. Because what I think I need and I deserve isn't being given to me, and therefore, how can you love us? And so in this, God is coming to the people of God because they're saying the exact same thing. Historically speaking, to help you understand, Malachi, essentially, in your Bibles, is the last book in the Old Testament. And there's a reason for that. Malachi, essentially, is the last prophetic utterance of God before what we call a period of silence or what is known as the intertestamental period. You'll notice in your Bibles, if you turn from Malachi, what's the next book? Matthew. What is Matthew? Matthew's a gospel. Now, that should tell us something. Malachi is part of the Old Testament. Matthew is part of the New. And so to help us understand this, that there's a period of about 400 years from the time that Malachi comes and gives his prophecy to the time that Jesus is born and goes and lives and dies and forgives us of our sins and rises from the grave to do so. And then obviously we have the New Testament and the New Testament period being written. Now Malachi is coming forward to the people of God because what has happened, historically speaking, is the people of God have gone through a series of challenges and difficulties. If we go back into the Old Testament, what we see is the people of God have been dispersed by the Babylonian army. You recognize as you go back through the Old Testament that an army comes in, takes the people of God away, as was prophesied by earlier prophets, and they are in captivity. But also, as was prophesied by Isaiah and other prophets, God brings them back into their land. They are now back into the land that they were promised. They have been established. 
Temple worship is now happening. Things are going relatively well. God has provided for them. God has stood by them. God has loved them. God continues to love them. But lo and behold, what we're going to discover in this book is after all of that, after God's continued provision, continued love, and discipline, the people of God turn and say, it ain't happening. Doesn't look very good. We're not too happy with you. And so we're going to come, we're going to do our thing. We're just going to come, essentially, in their day, and we're going to worship, we're going to do our thing, we're going to do our sacrifices, but they don't really mean anything. And so in a contemporary setting for us, we should look at our hearts and say, are we similar to that? Are we looking at our lives? Are we looking at coming to church as sort of an obligation? Coming to church as something just to tick off the box? And are we looking around and are we upset with God because what we think that we should have, God isn't giving? And yet what we're forgetting is all that God has already given to us. And in a moment, we're going to see a big contrast as God speaks through Malachi to his people. And in that, it's going to remind us of the fact that we should be grateful for God and grateful to God that he's even chose us at all because God didn't have to. And yet he chooses to work through his people, through his covenant, and he chooses to love his people through mercy and grace and restorative action. And in that, because of that, we should look and say, God, thank you for choosing us at all. Thank you for loving us at all, because you don't have to. So if you have your uh, Bibles with you, you're welcome to turn with me. We're in the book of Malachi. We're going to be looking, essentially, at the first five verses. And in this, I hope and pray that it begins to help us to see that in spite of what's going on around us, that God loves us no matter what, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We start off... And we see an oracle, the word of the Lord, to Israel through Malachi. Now, Malachi is not Italian for Malachi, and I don't want you getting excited or hungry for Italian food. But Malachi actually is messenger, or my messenger. And so in this, his very name is, I am the messenger for God. And we see an oracle, or some of you in your Bibles might see a burden. Similar, essentially, idea there. And earlier you heard me say that when you hear or someone comes forward who's a prophet and says, I bring you an oracle or I bring you a burden from God, you should stop. And I want to just take a minute there. Prophetically speaking, when Malachi comes forward and says this, the people of God should look up and say, uh oh, what are we doing wrong? How have we defiled God? How have we not loved him with our whole hearts? Why is Malachi here? What is the reason for bringing Malachi to us with a burden? And so while we don't have Malachi coming forward today, what I want to ask you is simply this. Where is your heart with God? Truthfully honestly, and holy. Is it based upon temporal circumstance? Is it based upon what's happening or not happening in your life? Is it based upon what you're getting or not getting? 
Is it based upon the fact that perhaps maybe you're coming to church and you know someone who doesn't know Jesus and their life is way better than yours and you're looking at it and you're saying, hey, wait a minute, this doesn't seem fair. And therefore you begin to say, God, you don't love me. Maybe God, you're not even there. Maybe God, you don't even care. And in this, what we're gonna see is a comparison and contrast to that very statement. We continue on and we see these words out of Malachi, but via God. God speaking through Malachi. I have loved you. And this will become very important in just a minute. A couple of things that I want to show you. It's not, I love you. It's not, I don't love you anymore. It's, I have loved you, but also not Finalized. It's, I have loved you all the way into the past. I'm showing you. This is going to become extremely important to understand in just a minute because the way that God is speaking is he's turning to the people of God through Malachi and he's saying, I have loved you. It's the same thing as I go back with Noah and Noah gets mad because I don't give him a cookie and he says, you don't love me anymore. And it's like, hey, bud. I have loved you. This morning, we got up. I dressed you. I woke up. I gave you a hug. I went and I got you breakfast. We played Hot Wheels together. We went outside and did things. I have loved you, and I still do. And what's the people's response? I've loved you, says the Lord, but you asked, how have you loved us? Okay, and I read that with the emotion. How have you loved us? Because they're looking at their temporal situation and things aren't good in their eyes. They're looking around and they're saying, nah, it's not good enough, God. How have you loved us? We've gone through exile. We've gone through this. We've been restored, but things aren't the way that we want them. How have you loved us is essentially the response. And then Malachi, via God, says, was not Esau Jacob's brother? And you're kind of like, wait a minute. Like, what, what's that there for? You, you would think that God would say, well, you know, I love you still, and et cetera, et cetera. Like, why are you bringing up this statement? And we're going to see in just a minute why God is so wise and why he chooses to let Malachi say these words to God's people. Was not Esau Jacob's brother, the Lord says? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have turned his mountains into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord even beyond the borders of Israel. Huh? What are you talking about here? Now to help us understand, anyone that would know the Old Testament, anyone that would have walked with God would look at this and say, holy cow, you're right, God. You're absolutely right in this. And you have loved us, and you have chosen us, and you didn't have to do so. And you're looking at me and you're saying, where are you pulling this from? Well, if you'll allow me, I'm going to kind of walk through a couple of things, and then I'm going to help us understand why God is saying this through Malachi. 
The first thing that I want you to see, and as we ask this question, what is this burden all about? That's the, the question for this morning. Why, why is Malachi coming? Why does he have a burden? We're going to see, essentially, through this whole prophetic moment, the fact that God is telling his people, come back to me. I care about you, and I love you, and I will provide for you. I will bring about a savior. I will bring about a deliverer. I will show my great love for you. Now stop there for a minute. It's interesting because right in Malachi, the people of God then were waiting for the arrival of the Messiah. Today, we are waiting for the return of the Messiah. And so while those people were waiting for his arrival, we too are similar and we're waiting for his return. What I want to take a minute before we get back into the passage is simply this. How's the world going right now? I mean, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but I don't know about you. When I look at the news, I'm like, man, things don't look very good, do they? Where are you, God? What are you doing? Do you really love us? Are you really there? Are you really providing for us? Is Jesus really going to return? And oftentimes, if we're not careful and we demand more of God, we can turn and we can say, how have you loved us? And what we realize, similarly to what's happening in the book of Malachi, is God is saying, I have loved you. And I will, excuse me, I will always love you, and I will always provide for you. And so in this context, what's happening is, the first aspect of bringing Malachi to the people of God, the messenger, is that we see that it is a burden to compel us toward God. We should be compelled toward God. God doesn't have to bring a messenger. God doesn't have to use Malachi to come forward and speak to God's people correctively, but also lovingly. But he chooses to do so. And the other thing, too, that's interesting is, is you're kind of like, well, it doesn't feel very good when God is disciplining people, does it? Anybody like to be disciplined? Anybody feel like you're loved when you're being disciplined? Can I remind you that there's a passage in scripture that says God disciplines those whom he loves? And so friends, what I want to tell you is this. Sometimes in our lives when we're under the discipline of God, when we're sitting there and we're going, gosh, my life is really hard or something's happening and I don't like it and I'm kind of feeling like I'm being constrained or this, is, this isn't my plan or gosh, I did something wrong and now I'm suffering the consequences behind it. We begin to say, wait a minute, God, do you love me? And friends, oftentimes when we've given our lives to Jesus Christ and we're under these hardships, it's the very evidence of God's love for us because he disciplines those whom he loves. It would be unloving for me not to discipline my son Noah. It is loving, even though Noah doesn't like it when I do choose to discipline him. And that's the exact same thing that we see here. And so Malachi comes forward, and we need to see that it is a burden to compel us toward God. We see in verse 1 an oracle or a burden. I bring a burden to you. God says, my heart is breaking for you, but I'm choosing to come to you through Malachi, my messenger, to bring this to you in an act of correction and love so that you might draw yourselves more closely to me. Sounds pretty loving, doesn't it? Rather than ignoring, or rather than choosing not to engage at all. 
And then interestingly enough, we see in verse 2, the next part, and we see, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you asked, how have you loved us? And interestingly enough, we see in verses 2 through 3, the next aspect of this burden. And it is a burden to comfort us with the love of God. It is a burden to comfort us with the love of God. Let me read these, these verses to you again because you're looking at it and you're kind of going, wait a minute, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But as we see, historically speaking, through the sovereignty of God and how he works, we're going to recognize the love of God in just a minute. We see, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? The Lord says, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated, and I have turned his mountains into the wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Wait a minute. What's going on here? To help us give some context, and what I would encourage you to do is to go back later today or this week and read Genesis 25. It's the story of Jacob and Esau. And what we have to remember is this. We go back and we look in the Old Testament and we see Abraham and Isaac. God chooses to work through Abraham. Abraham has a son. He has Isaac. And then what? Isaac has twins, Jacob and Esau, right? Better yet, Esau than Jacob. Esau than Jacob. And the reason that this is brought up is because God is saying, I am sovereign and I am choosing to work through whom I choose to work. Why is this important? Well, let me lay some context. First and foremost, Esau is essentially, even though they're twins, born first. Historically speaking, the firstborn is the one who has rights and privileges to the inheritance of the father and the grandfather. So by right, by formal right, Esau should be the one who receives, essentially, the blessing. But God chooses what? Jacob. And you're kind of like, well, wait a minute. Esau kind of gets a raw deal. Here's what I want to tell you. In our world, we think that things should be fair. In our world, we think that God needs to play fair and what we have to recognize is this simple fact. God doesn't have to choose at all. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Esau are all sinners. They are all essentially ugly in the eyes of God because of their sin. All of them, God could choose to say, I don't want anything to do with you. I don't need to do anything with you. I'm holy, you're not. But God, in his love, chooses to work through Abraham, then Isaac, and then Jacob. And you kind of say, well, why didn't he choose to work, wait, uh, work through Esau? Well, he chooses to work through Jacob to demonstrate that his line is something, A, not that we think it should be, but two, that oftentimes the way that God chooses to work isn't through divine right, privilege, or expected deliverance. Think about that for a minute. In this story, the world and the culture would say, well, Esau's the one who should be blessed. Esau's the one whom God should work. God says, no. I choose to work how I choose to work. And the reason that I'm doing that is to show 
that I bring salvation to whom I choose. And your salvation and my deliverance isn't done through being deserved, through birthright, or through privilege. I work how I work, and I choose to work through Jacob. Now, historically speaking, what we see is Jacob then becomes what? The nation of Israel. He becomes the father, for lack of a better word, even though we go back to the nation of Israel. What about Esau? He becomes, essentially, the father of the Edomites. Hence, we see this discussion about Edom. And so in this, we see, was not Esau Jacob's brother, Lord says, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I want to take a minute real quick and also let you know that the two words there, love and hate, in this context are not what we would call sort of affirmative. They're more relational choice. It's I chose Jacob and I did not choose Esau. But it's to demonstrate through the choice the love that God has in working through his compassion versus not choosing Esau. And so in this, we continue on, and it says, I have turned his mountains into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. A couple of quick things in this. One of the things that we need to recognize is all of us need to understand that God could choose not to work through any of them at all. That is when we begin to realize how much God loves us. If we look and we think, well, I deserve to be chosen. I deserve to have my salvation. I'm a good person, or I go to church, or I do right things. We begin to expect God to do more for us. It's only when we recognize that we don't deserve anything. What we truly deserve is what Esau got. That we become grateful that he chose to work through Jacob at all, and that we are part of Jacob's inheritance when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. When we become grateful for the fact that God has chosen to love us, that's when we can begin to recognize truly how much we are loved by God and despite the circumstances that are around us, realize his great love for us. God is going back to the people of God and he's saying, look, I get it. I understand that in your eyes you are thinking and saying that our situation isn't that great. In fact, it's interesting too because there's a comparative aspect. What happened to Edom? Did Edom go through the conquest? No, they escaped it. It was the people of God who were the ones that had the conquest of the Babylonian army. They had the difficulties. So the people of God are looking around and saying, wait a minute, these guys got it better than I do. We've had the hard time. And what God is saying is, wait, wait on me, because there is going to be a day when you will see my love by what happens to the Edomite people, to the people who don't know me and who don't love me. Now, I want to be careful in this. I don't want you to sit there and think, hey, I can't wait until the people who don't know Jesus get their due. No, we don't want that of individuals. But when we recognize and we realize that we too once were destined for that, and yet God through his great love has chosen us, we begin to realize how fortunate we truly are. 
And so in this, a couple of things that I want you to see. Paul, in Romans 9, if you have your Bibles, turns and speaks to this very uh, fact of God's sovereign choice. In Romans 9, essentially speaking to what Malachi is doing and what happened with essentially Jacob and Esau, this is what he says. We're in chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. Not only that, but Rebekah's children had one and the same father, our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born, or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works. Okay, so again, this is God saying, isn't by works, it's not by right, not by inheritance, not by deservedness, not by position, not by birthright, okay? In order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who called, she was told, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Paul is recognizing the sovereign choice of God to work through whom he chooses to work. He had also recognizing the fact that God did not have to choose to work at all through any of them. And yet he is grateful for the fact that he has chosen to work through Jacob. And so we continue on and we realize that this is a burden that God has to comfort us with the love of God. Why am I bringing this up? Why am I essentially camping on the idea of recognizing that God didn't have to choose any of them at all? Friends, we're not going to understand or see the love of God until we recognize our great depravity, our desperate need for him. We cannot get to God on our own. We can't educate ourselves to him. We can't go to church enough to get to him, even though it's not a bad thing. We can't put enough money in the offering plate to buy ourselves to heaven. We can't escalate ourselves through intellectual ascent to heaven. We can't get to God. And God doesn't have to do anything. And yet he chooses to work through Jacob. He chooses to work through Jesus Christ. He chooses to put Christ on the cross. He chooses to remain on the cross. He chooses to keep his mouth silent even though he's not guilty. He chooses to endure the pain. He chooses to die on our behalf to be gloriously resurrected again to deliver us from the sins that we've committed even though he was not guilty. That's God's great love for us. And we don't deserve it. And yet we have it. Because of what Christ has done. And so one of the things that I want to show you is when we look and we begin to think in our circumstance in this world that perhaps things aren't going our way, perhaps God doesn't love us, we deserve more and friends, God bless America, but we are such a consumeristic society. We think that we deserve everything. And when we don't get it, we feel like what? We're being depraved. It takes us recognizing that we don't deserve everything, but we've been given everything through Jesus Christ. Our salvation and our inheritance in his kingdom that drives our heart to a loving God despite the circumstances that are around us. And so in this, I want to drive this home to you. 
when you don't see yourself as very bad, you cannot see God as very good. What do I mean by that? When you don't see yourself as a sinner in need of a savior, you can't see the greatness of God's salvation for you. When you recognize that you can't get to God on your own and that yet God has given you the manner to be saved through Jesus Christ wholly and fully, you see truly how good and loving and gracious is our God. When you see what God has given and what you have in his kingdom, that you will be a son or daughter adopted into his family with eternal rights and privileges forever, that when you die and when you go to be with God, he will say, come my son, my daughter, and eat from my banquet feast you begin to recognize, holy cow, I can't believe how much you love me, God, and how much I am undeserving of your love, yet you still do. I have loved you. We must remember God's deep love for us or you because ingratitude will always lead to dis obedience. When we become ungrateful for what God has done for our salvation, we become disobedient to God. You didn't give me enough, God. My life isn't going the way that I want. I don't have what I need. I don't think I got what I deserve. I think I need more. I need this. I want that. I, 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 I. And yet we go right back to Noah. Buddy, I made you breakfast. Buddy, I played Hot Wheels with you. Buddy, I got you dressed. And I know you're mad because I didn't give you a cookie and you're telling me that I don't love you. But I have loved you. And this is what the people of God are saying to God. And Malachi is coming forward and he's saying, I'm bringing you a message. I'm telling you that I have loved you. And then to help in this context, we go back and we look at what's happened with Jacob and Esau and then if you read essentially the entirety of the Old Testament, we see how God continues to display his love to his people, continues to walk with his people, and his people continue to say, you're not enough. And when they say, you're not enough, they get in trouble, and then they come whining back to God going, ah, help. And God could say, you know what? I'm just tired and sick of this. Three strikes and you're out. But what does God do? He continues to love. He continues to provide. He continues to deliver. He continues to work. He continues to remain steadfast. He stays in his covenant with you. That's love. And so oftentimes, friends, what I want to ask is simply this. If you are finding that you are being disobedient to God, okay? Not being legalistic. But I think it's pretty easy for us to look and say, you know, I'm being disobedient to God. A question that we should ask is simply this. Is it because I'm ungrateful for what you have done? 
Because oftentimes there are moments when I find myself in disobedient. God, I want more. God, why aren't the Broncos doing well? Why did we get Russell Wilson and why are we having such a hard season? Why are the Kansas City Chiefs doing so well? Although you guys play the Bills today. Okay. But let's take that further. God, why is my life not what I wanted it to be? God, why is this happening to me and not someone else? God, why is it that I'm doing everything that I can for you and this person over there who doesn't even know you has this great life and yet mine's hard? You don't love me. Do you love me? This is the exact situation that God comes forward and says, I do and I have and I always will. And so in that, don't let that become a factor that causes your worship, your time with me, to become diluted But come with a grateful heart. So friends, this morning I ask again, where is your heart with God? Are you coming just to tick off the box? Is it something just to get done? Are you upset with God? Are you disobedient? Is it because you're asking or demanding God for more, although you don't recognize what he's already given? It's interesting because in the ESV study Bible, this is what it says sort of about this area. It says, Malachi begins by defending the reality of God's elective love for Israel. I love you. I have chosen you. And it's a love which calls for robust covenantal obedience and sincere worship as its prosperous response. Hey, I have loved you. All I'm asking of you is, is that you essentially worship me in return. But God is the one who acts first. God is the one who chooses. God is the one who delivers. And so God delivers, and these people are bringing essentially nothing. They're just ticking off the box. And they're just saying, you know what? I ticked off my box, okay? Now love me. Let me, let me, let me just say this another way, okay? Kelly and I, our relationship. If I just kind of went over to her every day and said, you know, make me food, do your thing, right? And then I expected her to love me back, but yet I'm not grateful for her and I'm not demonstrating my love for her. Is that a relationship? Not at all. I'm kind of a tyrant, aren't I? Friends, what I want to ask you is this. Is with God, is your relationship somewhat of a tyrancy? God, do this for me now. I demand this of you, and if you don't, I don't love you anymore, or you don't love me. When we recognize what God has done, when we recognize the joy of our salvation through Jesus Christ, it changes everything. We see in this, instead the people were dishonoring God by their worthless offerings and their hypocritical formalism of their worship. And friends, I want to just ask a simple question. Is our worship hypocritical and is it formal? Or is it real? Do we have a heart for God? Do we care and want to see him exalted? His glory brought about. His name be praised. As people come to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our friends, is it all about me, myself, and I? And then interesting, we see what is this burden all about? And I know that I need to kind of keep moving. Um, Number one, we see that it's a burden to compel us toward God. Number two, we see that it's a burden to comfort us with the love of God. 
but also we see that it's a burden to challenge us to submit to God. And so my next question to you is, are you submitting to him? Are you submitting to his will? Are you submitting to his word? Are you allowing him to work in your life? Are you reading scripture? And are you uncomfortable? Because when we read scripture, there should be times when we are convicted and we are told and we say, you know what, God, I'm not living my life as I should for you. And every time God says, I love you and I have loved you, and he draws us back to himself. But friends, I'm gonna simply say this. A dusty Bible without going to him and reading his word and looking into his heart is essentially what these people were doing in the time of Malachi. I want the blessing, I want the good, but I don't really want much to do with you, God. And interestingly enough, in that, it leads to disobedience and then it causes them to question God's love. And that's again where I go back and I say, perhaps in your life, there may be a time where you're finding that you are disobedient to God And the very question that perhaps you should ask is, is it because I don't view how much you love me and what you've done for me? And I don't know about you, but the moments when I go back and I look and I say, oh my gosh, God, you died on a cross for me and I didn't deserve it. I don't deserve it. I didn't want it. And yet you chose to do it and you remained on that cross and you scorned its shame and you were silent to the people who were persecuting you and you endured it even though you didn't have to. For me, when I'm mad that the Broncos aren't doing well, my whole world changes, doesn't it? Holy cow, God, you love me. You love us. So may I submit to you, and may I submit to your leading. So we get into verse four. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land. A couple of quick things here for you. Anyone who's here is looking at essentially the two stories, and they should see the parallel. They should look at how God has worked through the nation of Israel. They should also look at how God has not chosen the people of Edom. And interestingly enough, the people of Edom in their own pride are saying this. We don't need you, God. We're going to do it on our own. We're going to be fine. We're going to rebuild our cities. We got it. And so lovingly, what I want to ask is perhaps is there an Edomite perspective in you? I don't need you, God. It's fine. I'll just rebuild on my own. I got it figured out. We can do this. And interestingly enough, what God is saying is, yeah, they will. But in the end, I am the one. I am the one who will deliver the people of God. And those who chose or have chosen to go on their own will be destroyed. He continues on and he says, They would be called the wicked land. It's a word play. Land of promise, okay? People of God, people of Edom, the wicked land. And everybody's looking. And as you see this parallel structure, you should be looking and saying, oh my gosh, God, you have chosen us. You love us. And then he says, as a people always under their wrath of the Lord, you will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord even beyond the borders of Israel. Notice the response. 
okay? From how have you loved us, right? To great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. And the change in heart, as God is saying, is when you look at who I am and what I have done and how I have chosen to work through Jacob, even though I didn't have to choose it at all, even though all of their destinies is the one that Esau deserves. And yet I work through Jacob and I work through you and I've chosen you. Your heart will then say, holy cow, kind of like I said before, I can't believe Jesus that you died for me. Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. And it causes us to submit to him, to want to live for him. So this is what I want to kind of share with you. When we recognize God's deep love for us, when we endure trials and challenges in our lives, rather than saying, where is your love for me? Or where is your love for us, God? You will say, God is sovereign. He is good. May all of the world praise him. And so I leave you with this. What is this burden about, all about? Well, the burden is to compel us toward God. It's a burden to comfort us with the love of God. And it is a burden to challenge us to submit to his word. But when we recognize God's love for us, when we truly understand what he's done, God's love for us should compel, comfort, and challenge us toward submitting our lives toward him. That is the story of Malachi. That is what Malachi brings before the people of God to say, I'm here to draw you back to myself. Malachi will come. Malachi will preach. The people of God will hear his word. The people of God will hear the promise that a deliverer is coming. The people of God will expect that the deliverer is coming in their day. The people of God who heard the word of Malachi will die. Those people who heard the word via their parents will die. Those people who heard the word through their grandparents will die. 400 years will go by and the people of God will begin to wither. Is this a farce? Did God really mean what he says? Is God really there? Does God really care? And lo and behold, just as Malachi says, 400 years later, a baby will cry. John the Baptist. And yet I bring you great news that there is one greater than I who will come, who is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will come. Jesus Christ will live. Jesus Christ will die. Jesus Christ will rise from the grave. Jesus Christ will say, I come again. And I will deliver you. And I love you. And those people will die. And then their family or that generation will die. And it will go almost 2,000 years. And we, like the people of God back then, will say, where are you, God? And just like John the Baptist, Jesus will come in his time, according to the Father, as a great triumphant warrior, bringing about his great kingdom. And we get to be part of that because of God's great love for us. 
how have I loved you? Through the message of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for Malachi. Father, we thank you for the corrective word. We thank you for the fact that Malachi was willing to come to the people of God and bring about a rebuke to help them to see that their hearts weren't right before God. But Lord, in that, thank you that in it, while he could have chosen to eradicate them, while he could have chosen not to even talk to them, while he could have chosen to do something greater or more drastic than he did, he comes forward and he says, I'm coming to you and I'm showing you my heart for you so that your hearts will be true to mine. And Father, to thank you in that, God continues with his story and brings about a great deliverer, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, whom we can place our faith and trust in. Father, as we look back to the story of Malachi, as we look at our own situation, Father, in those moments where we wonder where God's love for us might be, may we look back and recognize what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And in that great love, may that help us to recognize how much God truly loves us, even though we don't get the cookie after breakfast. We thank you. We love you. We pray these things in your name, dear Jesus. We ask it all by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say, amen.